Praise God. It's a beautiful day to be here. It's a beautiful day outside. It's a beautiful day to be in the church. I'm so glad to be here. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, uh, I'm the pastor at West Des Moines. I'm kind of in charge of our family ministry that we're starting up. And uh, you may not know this. I know some of you do because I knew you from then. Uh, but I started here at Hope Des Moines. My, uh, when I first came to Hope, uh, it was this, uh, this community that was really my family of faith. Uh, my wife and I moved here from Colorado, and uh, when we uh, landed in Iowa, it uh, was totally unexpected. We never had any plans to move to Iowa, uh, but at the same time, uh, you guys embraced us. And so, uh, even though I haven't met a lot of you, uh, this is home for me, so thank you. Uh, hello again for the first time. <laughs> so, uh, it's, it's a pleasure to be preaching here. Um, today, we get to talk about the Trinity, and uh, when I heard that's what we're going to talk about, it was really exciting because it's really cool, but it's also uh, really uh, anxiety-inducing because it's really complicated. <laughs> How do you talk about the Trinity at all, let alone uh, preach about it? And, and one of the things they tell you at seminary is they say, don't preach doctrine because... Uh, people don't need doctrine. So then how do, you, how do you talk about the Trinity without doing that? Well, you do it the way that Jesus did it. They, at seminary, they give you these words like homoousius. Everybody say homoousius. Now forget it. <laughs> you don't need to know that, but it's this thing that they teach you about the Trinity that you don't need to know. They, they, you go to systematics class and they teach you all this stuff and then you go to preaching class and they're like, don't teach all that, don't preach all that stuff we just taught you. And then it's confusing. Uh, so why did you teach me that? Why am I paying for these classes? Uh, but when Jesus is with his disciples on the darkest night in their lives, when everything around them is crumbling, when everything that they put their hope in seems like it's failing, he talks to them about the Trinity. And he tells them what God is doing. He talks to them about the Trinity by explaining the way that God is at work in their lives. By telling them that they can have hope in God. So this reading that we read is actually entirely a quote from Jesus in a much longer speech that takes up uh, like four or five chapters in, in the Gospel of John. And he says, there's so much more that I want to tell you. There's so much more that you need to know. But you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And he will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. And all that belongs to the Father is mine. And that is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. He's speaking a word of hope to people that are lost. So that's what I want you to get out of this. I want you to, to embrace the Trinity in a new way. As this word of hope about the way that God is at work in your life. Because there either have been, there are, or there will be times in your life when it feels like the wheels are falling off, when it feels like you're on an adventure bike and all the bolts are loose, <laughs> where you, you just can't make sense of the world. There's a movie uh, that came out a while ago that I'm going to totally ruin for you if you haven't seen it. So, but it came out 10 years ago, so it's your fault if you haven't seen it yet. 
Uh, it's called The Village. Uh, and I really like this movie because of the characters and because of the scenery. And, uh, but the main thing I like about it is the story. And it starts uh, with the scene where you, you see a funeral. And, and it's this father. And he's crying over the casket of his son. And um, as he's crying, you see the headstone in the background. And uh, the son's name is Daniel Nicholson, the beloved son of August Nicholson, born June 17, 1890, and died September 3rd, 1897. And so Edward Walker is kind of this leader in this village where uh, he has to stand at this funeral and give this word of hope. He said, it's times like these that make us question, did we make the right decision to settle here? We're grateful for the time that we have. You see, this village is really, really secluded. There's no contact with the outside world. And, and you, you realize as the story unfolds that that's really the point. This village is in this place because the elders, the people that are uh, August Nicholson's age and Edward Walker's age, moved there from the outside world to get away from the outside world. They wanted a place that was free from the violence and the baggage and the brokenness of the world. So they moved to this village and founded this village as a place where they can safely raise their children and, and they can live in hope and this newfound innocence that's away from the things of the world. And that's what the village is for. It's this response to the brokenness of this world. And the rest of the people there, these elders you learn as the story unfolds that each one of them has lost somebody very, very dear to them in a tremendously violent and tragic way. And so it's this response to the pain and the grief that they all know. And they live in this village because they have hope for something better for their kids. And there's more to it than that. Uh, because as the story unfolds, you find uh, that there's these strange creatures that live in the woods. Uh, these things, these, these uh, things that aren't really human or really animals, uh, but they, they wear these red robes and they have these long claws. And, and, and so there's danger all around this village, but there's this agreement that was set years ago that as long as we don't go into the woods, the creatures won't come into our village. And so everything around the village and, and, and the time that they spend in, the, in their rhythm of life is all kept uh, to keep the safety of the village going. So uh, they have watchtowers to make sure those who don't, we don't speak of uh, don't come into the village. And then they have ceremonies that, that help the, the people know uh, that they'll be safe. And, and so uh, bit by bit we learn uh, this pattern of life and, and the way that it's so important to these people. And Edward Walker's daughter, Ivy, is really the main character in this story. And so she uh, uh, is, is this brilliant, uh, really smart, uh, really intuitive uh, young woman who also happens to be blind, but who can see things and see the world in a way that nobody else can see them. And so she uh, is living this beautiful life. Uh, and then something happens. Uh, tragedy comes into the village, but it doesn't come from these creatures, and it doesn't come 
from the towns, what they, the rest of the world they call the towns, uh, it comes from inside themselves. Because no matter how much we try to separate ourselves from the wicked world, we realize that we are also part of the problem. And the brokenness inside of us is just as big a threat, if not a bigger threat, than the brokenness outside of us. So in this scene, you see the ways that the wheels are falling off. The chaos of, of brokenness is, is taking the safety of the village away. And, and in the same way the disciples were in this spot where the world stopped making sense, Ivy comes to this impasse where the world that she has always known doesn't make sense either. And she's here in the scene with her father. Uh, and it's also a, a scene where he's really honest with her for the first time. Go ahead and take a look at this. Every day of her life, there's this reminder of this danger that's just outside their village. Every day, she lives in terror of these things. And then this day, she learns that there's no truth in it. That it's all farce. And her, so the way that she understands the world is completely undone. And it's kind of like that for the disciples. They're standing in this place where for years and years and years, for generations, they've longed for the Messiah. And now they've come to a place where the Messiah is with them. And so they have all these ideas of what the Messiah is supposed to do and what the Messiah is supposed to be. The Messiah is this military leader that's going to come in and kick out the Romans. And he's going to make everything right. And he's going to put us in our place. And he's going to put the Romans in their place. And the world is going to be right again and right for the first time in a way that it's never been. But now, on this night, the disciples are with Jesus. And he's saying that he's going to die. He's saying that he's about to die, and he's saying uh, that it's going to be okay. He's obviously not kicking out the Romans. We can't make sense of this. Everything that we've hoped for, everything that we've thought we understood about the world is undone. And we have those times in our life. And so for Ivy Walker, her life fits in a few acres of rolling hills, and the world that she knows fits in a few acres of rolling hills, but the world as it is, is so much bigger. As the story continues to unfold, you realize that the farce is even bigger than this. It's not 1897, but in fact, Edward Walker, her father, was a professor in the 1970s of history, and he decided with some other people in his support group for people that are struggling with grief, that they're going to found this village as a way to live in isolation of the world. So really, it's a movie about control. It's a movie about trying to control the environment you live in and the, and the variables of life so that you can live the best life you would want for yourself. And the way that we think about God is often like that too. It's about control. And, and you see so many Christians that are like this. They want their life to be manageable, and they want to be in control of the different variables in their life. So the way they formulate their idea of God is about being in control of things that they can't be in control of. So you see people say things that aren't so helpful, or maybe their theology is not so true to life. We have this idea of God that is small as Ivy's world was. 
It fits in a few acres of rolling hills, and it's all beautiful and nice. But the idea of God doesn't measure up to the reality of God that's so much bigger. How many Christians do you know uh, say things like, well, everything happens for a reason, and it all has purpose, and God ordains everything, and you know, it must be God's will. There's a, a friend that I know, and she's uh, in AA, and she was at a meeting, and somebody was talking to her, and she uh, was at this meeting describing some of the things that's happened to her. In the last year, she's experienced more grief and loss than anybody should experience in a lifetime. And she's at this meeting, pouring her heart out, and this person says, wow, God must think that you're really strong to give you all this. And just cut to her heart. And she's not somebody that really buys into the whole church thing or the God thing. And she, she wrestles with what her higher power means. What, what is my higher power? And she says, what does my higher power think of me? That, it, that he would give me this because he thinks I'm strong. What kind of a God is that? If your God is about having control over your life and your idea of God and the way that the God that you worship is all about you being in control, you're going to be really disappointed. You worship a God that is so small that when life doesn't make sense, when the world doesn't make sense, when the wheels are falling off, your God is not going to be up to the task. So we worship this God of mystery. The Trinity means that God is mystery. It means that God is bigger than our understanding. Augustine has this quote where he says, I, I, don't, I don't believe because I understand, but I'm able to understand because I believe. So let me ask you, do you believe in things that you can't understand? There's something bigger that God is doing. There's something bigger that God is that I can't wrap my head around. And so the God that I need, the God that is, is bigger than my understanding. And I, and I want to invite you to think about that. As we think about the Trinity, that's exactly what we need. As we think about the way that our lives are falling apart, that's exactly what we need. As we wrestle with the reality of God, we need a God that is bigger. So uh, there's this theologian, uh, his name is Soren Kierkegaard, and he wrote this, this prayer it says, teach me, Lord, the fight of faith is not a fight with doubt, thought against thought, but a fight for character. Enable me to see that human vanity consists in having to understand. Have you thought about having to understand everything as human vanity? Save me from the vanity of not being willing to obey like a child and wanting to be like a grown man who has to understand. Save me from having to understand. Help me realize that he who does not obey when he can't understand does not, in reality, obey at all. There's something that happens. If God is mystery, we obey when we can't understand. It teaches us what faith really is. It teaches us to have faith like a child. There's things that I don't understand about God. There's things that when I think, wow, if I was God, I wouldn't do it that way. Well, good thing I'm not God, right? Uh, but so many times you hear people talk about God and they're like, well, I can't believe in that kind of a God because 
the God I love and the God that I worship wouldn't do it that way. Well, so what? The fact that God doesn't do it the way that I would do it helps me know that he's God and I'm not. You see, the mystery of God and the reality of the Trinity saves us from having to understand. It saves us from having to explain everything. Sometimes uh, mystery is a threat to our faith. Sometimes we feel like because we can't explain all the things of God, somehow our faith must be inadequate. Somehow we must have failed as Christians. And so it creates anxiety for us. But instead we need to embrace mystery and we need to say, the fact that I can't explain everything means that I have a faith that's greater than my understanding and that's a beautiful thing and that's a gift. It's a gift to not have to know everything. So we don't explain the Trinity. Sometimes we get in trouble like that, but we describe the Trinity. We use the language and the words and the examples that that Scripture uses, and we can say some things about the Trinity. We can say that it's truth. We can say things about God that Scripture say, and and that leads us to, to the idea of the Trinity, but at the same time, there's a great amount of mystery, and we can't explain it. So we know that God is one. Uh, it says in Scripture that there is one God. And so we believe that. And, and we know that the Father is God. So everybody say, Father is, God. Father is God. And we know that the Son is God. So everybody say, Son is God. Son is and we know that the Holy Spirit is God. Everybody say, Holy Spirit is God. Holy Spirit is God. So all, all three are God, but there is one God. But we know that the Father is not the Holy Spirit. We know that the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. We know that the Son is not the Holy Spirit. We know the Holy Spirit is not the Father. And we can say this with certainty, because we know it by faith. We know the Trinity by faith first, and then we accept it, and we can believe, and we can understand God and the way that God has worked in in the world in a new way without having to explain it away. And our faith is stronger for that. Our faith can have legs in a world that doesn't make sense uh, because we don't feel like we have to explain everything. And, and when we do try to explain everything, it gets us in trouble. So I have a clip for you uh, that my wife was a little unsure about because it's pretty nerdy, uh, but I like it, and other people have liked it so far. So here's a clip that kind of talks about the pitfalls of trying to explain the Trinity. Take a look. Did you get all that? <laughs> So uh, when we try to explain it, we get in trouble every single time. And, and as I'm thinking about this, as I'm writing this sermon and wrestling with this, and how do I explain it, I, I realize that God is not calling me to explain it. God is calling me to show it to you and ask you to believe it by faith in a way that can't be explained. And, and, and there's tremendous freedom in that. You see? It... it it keeps me from having to be in control. And that's a beautiful thing. It keeps me from having to be the expert that has all the answers. So I can just loaf and just work on Sunday, right? I'm a pastor. But the reality is, is that the mystery can be really anxiety-inducing. Because we don't have all the answers. Uh, we feel like we should. Uh, it feels like we're going to be unmasked, that we're going to be shown as inadequate. That... 
uh, we're going to be shown as a fraud. And uh, one of my pastors at seminary um, is a really smart guy. Obviously, he's a, he's a professor, and, and he has all these degrees, and he's this expert in all these things. And uh, he took his kid to uh, the Suzuki uh, method of teaching uh, for learning the violin. And if you don't know anything about this, it's this great, uh, intuitive, interactive way for kids to learn the violin from a very young age. And uh, part of what they do is they have the parents uh, interact a lot with the, the learning of the instrument and take a bigger part in, in understanding how to, how to learn. And then uh, one of the things they do is they have the parents learn a song on the violin so they understand what their kids are going to go through. And so he had to learn Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. So here's this highfalutin ivory tower professor learning with Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star on the violin. And they have a recital at the end of this part of the teaching where his hand is, is shaking so much he can hardly put the bow to the strings. It's like he speaks in front of hundreds of people at a time. And here he is, completely terrified of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. When we're not in control, when we're not shown to be the expert, it creates a lot of anxiety. And this completely applies to the way that we approach God. We feel like because I'm a Christian, I should have all the answers when my atheist friend struggles. Or when they come to me with questions, I should have all the answers. I should have a Bible verse in my back pocket so that when somebody needs one, I got it. And I feel ashamed that I don't. And I feel ashamed when, when I don't know the Bible stories that the pastor's talking about. I feel like a, a lesser Christian. I feel like I've failed in my faith. And, and if, because I can't explain the Trinity, I feel like I'm, I'm not that great of a Christian. And so I feel shame. The mystery of the Trinity frees us from having that shame. Don't be ashamed of what you don't know. See, children are great at not being experts because they don't know anything. <laughs> We as adults, we feel like we have to be experts in everything. And as Christians, we feel like we have to be experts in God. And, and it does this great disservice. So I want you to be free from that and, and say, I don't know. And I want you to say, you know, let's learn together. And not knowing and admitting that you don't know is the first step to learning. And that's one of the big obstacles that we approach as we get into the Bible. So what we end up doing is we end up hiring professionals to do everything, and that's part of our culture. But we do that with our religion, too, we, where we have the pastors do all the religious things that we don't, can't do for ourselves because we're not the experts. There's real problems with that. Now, don't get me wrong, there's certain things you really need an expert to do. If I ever in my life need heart surgery, I really, really want an expert doing my heart surgery. I really want a professional. Right? I, I really want somebody that knows what they're doing to fix the brakes on my car. I really, really want a professional doing that. But you can't hire out your relationships to a professional. Imagine if there was a service that would take care of your wife the way that you should be taking care of your wife as a husband or your husband as a wife. Right? And you would get this summary at the end of the month with a bill and say, okay, uh, she got flowers three times, uh, cuddle on the couch uh, five nights a week, and uh, you're, you're about due for your three-month-long weekend away, right? 
and then, and then here's your bill. You can't trust somebody else with your relationships. You, nobody can do that but you. And so that's why you need to wrestle with this Trinity stuff. And that's why you need to know the way that, that God is calling to you and speaking to you. Because what God is calling to you in this passage that we read, and in understanding the Trinity, God is calling you to a relationship with him. The, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who founded all things and spoken into being, is coming to you in this place and saying, I love you, and you're my child, and I want to be in relationship with you. And there's, some, there's something really, really beautiful in that. But if we think that stuff's for pastors, we miss it. I uh, had uh, asked on uh, Facebook if uh, how... Uh, what I said, please finish this sentence. Because God is Trinity, I can have faith that, dot, dot, dot. And so I got more responses than I thought I would. And uh, I got some really, really beautiful responses. And I got some really, really goofy responses too. <laughs> and I'm reading it through and somebody made uh, uh, a reference to Three's Company, the old TV show, which is pretty creepy. Um, <laughs> Somebody else said, uh, because God is Trinity, I can have faith that relationships are weird. I'm like, yeah, that's true, <laughs> I guess. I don't know what it has to do with the Trinity, but that's funny. And then I'm reading through, and all the goofy responses I realize are from my seminary friends. So I'm like, oh, great. I'm glad you spent tens of thousands of dollars on an education so that you can make sarcastic remarks on Facebook. But the people that really took it seriously are the people that understood the relational nature of the Trinity. That because God is Trinity, we can know that I'm created for relationship. And there's a place for me in the relational nature of God. Somebody said this, because God is Trinity, I have faith that I'm loved more than I can humanly understand. That's it right there. You need to know that because God is Trinity, you are loved beyond your human understanding. That there is a God who loves you more than you can even imagine. And in this, you can know that that God is love. See, God is love because God is Trinity. Because God is Trinity, he loved, God the Father loved God the Son from before all time. And God the Holy Spirit is that love between them and is this person that embodies love in our lives so that we can know that God loves us. You see, Jesus Christ came and showed us what the Messiah was like and lived it out and, and came and showed us what God is like in a new way. But he wasn't this military leader. He came and he touched lepers. He came and he healed people that were broken. He came and he fed people that were hungry. And he taught us what life is like and taught us what God is like in a way that we can't understand because we want something more. We want glory and we want power and we want everything to be okay and everything to make sense. And, and God gives us something better. God gives us himself. You have God the Father that you can call out to and say, Abba, Father, I need you. And he will embrace you. And he will gather you just like a hen gathers chicks under her wings. And I want you to hear that you have God the Son who is with you and came down in the muck to live with you. And came and said, I will not leave you in this place, but I will lead you. I will go through the valley of the shadow of death with you. And you can know that you will never be alone because I've experienced everything that you've experienced. And I know the temptation that you know. 
and I've lived it without sin, and I'm doing for you what you ha- can't do for yourself. And we have God the Father who says, I love you so much that I'm giving my son for you so that I will take you to be with me. And you will never know death or dying or pain or tears ever again because I'm making this world right. And I'm giving you the Holy Spirit as this down payment so that you know that I am with you even to the end of the age. So that even Jesus Christ who dies on the cross, it doesn't mean that God is absent from us. It doesn't mean that it, even though he ascended into heaven, it doesn't mean that God is absent in this world. But instead, God fills this world as the Holy Spirit in a way that even the waters cover the sea. It says that in Scripture. What, what do you mean the waters cover the sea? The waters are the sea. You see, God is so immersed in this world that he, that he inhabits every single thing. That doesn't mean that God is everything. I and mean, People get weird about it. There's no place where you're distant from God. You could ascend into the heavens and he is there. You could descend to the depths and he is there. You cannot run from God. And you can't run from this love that he has for you. God is love and you can know and you can trust that you are an heir of your heavenly father in the kingdom of God. So that in the last day, when the judgment comes, You won't reap what you sow, but you will reap exactly what Jesus has sown for you. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you're a good, good Father. It's who you are. We pray for those who didn't have a good Father in this world, who don't, that they would know you as their Heavenly Father. We pray that you would teach us as parents to love our children the way that you love us, to love each other. Gracious God, we thank you for being our Heavenly Father. Jesus Christ, we pray to you and we thank you for serving us and teaching us that we need to be served. Thank you, God, that even though we don't have it figured out, Even though our lives are a mess, you came to be with us. You moved into the neighborhood, and it will never be the same. Holy Spirit, we pray to you and ask for your presence in us and your work through us. I pray that your presence is known to every person here so they can trust that they will never be left, they will never be forsaken because of who you are. Lord, we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace and serve the Lord.